Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Jazz insight and analysis straight from the source. Oh my goodness! goodness. Yeah! Yeah, let's go! This is your Utah Jazz Insider Report on the Zone Sports Network. Now joining Spence and Gordon, here's radio play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. Show me! On 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and the Zone Sports Network. Live in New York, it's not Saturday night, but it is David Locke who joins the big show now. Uh, So, David, we were just discussing our first instant reaction when we heard about the news of the trade today. I'm going to ask you the same question. What's the first thing that went through your mind? Well, I really was stunned and and couldn't believe it had happened, largely just because uh, I've talked about it for so long. I mean, I really believe that the Jazz had number one priority as an organization was they had to find a way so that Dante had a soft landing so he didn't have pressure on himself, and they and they really couldn't afford to have Shelvin Mack uh, be the starting point guard for this team if Dante wasn't, you know, didn't come all the way back. Uh, and But I thought that the key to the whole thing was that they had to go get a point guard who could play with Dante. Um, and so I really, you know, that's the – that was the trick. And so, you know, Jeff Teague, for example, doesn't fit into that because he's too small. And there were only two guys, in my opinion, in the whole league that fit. One was Drew Holiday and the other was George Hill. And Drew Holiday has huge leg injury issues, uh, which I thought the Jazz were going to have to gamble on. But instead, they got a guy who doesn't have those problems. And they paid a price for it. But I, it, it's still um, it's still absolutely fabulous uh, deal for the Jazz. I, I couldn't be more pleased as a – as a fan and as an announcer, this was a win-now move, and it's impressively done. David, how do you anticipate the uh, the usage? Uh, will he be the primary backup to uh, Dante, or will he be – Spence really likes his versatility and thinks he could come in as backup at shooting guard. Do you have any idea of how Quinn thinks on these sorts of things? I have no idea. I haven't talked to Quinn. Um, and so, you know, I sent out a tweet earlier today where I had him as a starter, uh, only really just because Dante has played one t- one season in three years. So, I mean, I didn't mean anything cr- you know, critical about Dante. But the way I look at it right now, there's 144 minutes of playing time between the three wing positions of the Jazz. And as of the roster is constructed right now, uh, to me, Exum, Hill, Hood, Hayward and Burks will have no problem using all 144 of those minutes, probably with some distribution between 20 and 34 minutes between those guys. And uh, that five-man group, all of them can play together in different combinations, which is just a beautiful thing. And, and maybe most importantly, if we can play some four, he's big and strong enough to do it. And we didn't have the wings to let him do it last year. And so I think you'll also see – uh, this is why it was so important to get a point guard who could play next to Dante so that if Dante struggles, fine, then George Hill just plays. But if Dante does what everyone hopes he's going to do by January, February, and March and starts to really turn the corner 
and develop as a player, then George Hill plays alongside him, but so can Rodney Hood and Gordon Hayward in one lineup. I mean, you know, you there's some there's some fabulous flexibility. They're one piece away from having a roster that can just do everything uh, it needs to do. That's a shooting five. They don't have a lineup where they can put five shooters on the floor yet, but uh, that's the only thing they're missing. David, what do you think this means for the other point guards on the roster? Al Neto, Shelvin Mack, who's non-guaranteed, and, of course, Trey Burke. It's probably not real good for Trey Burke's future with the Utah Jazz, but I think we've known that. Um, I actually think Trey's going to be pretty good in his next spot, by the way. Um, you know, I actually decided to dig in a little bit. He had a pretty good year. He really banged down open shots. Uh, I, I think he's going to be a good backup point guard. In fact, if I'm – Denver with my three first round picks. I might take Trey Burke for one of those later picks uh, just because it gives me a backup point guard on my roster. And I, unless they have, I don't think DJ Augustine, who I think they had the second half of last year is not under contract and might not be a bad backup for them. Um, I, you know, he's got defensive liabilities, but I, I really feel like he had a good second half. So he'll be good somewhere. It's just not going to be in Utah. Uh, I think it's unlikely the Jazz carry four point guards, so that does get very interesting with Shelvin Mack and Howell Meadow. So it has an impact on them. Uh, I, you know, if you have Mack as your third point guard, I'm not sure there's many better. And I thought Meadow was good last year, so I don't know exactly how the Jazz deal with that. But yeah, they've got two too many right now. David, the Jazz are now one of the few teams in the NBA who don't have a first round pick. Do you think they are, they will utilize some sort of uh, asset to get back in? Well, I'm just going to say yes, um, only maybe to keep myself um, mentally stable because I've put an awful lot of time into this draft and broken down videos of six different players that each take many days and worked very hard on knowing every player's this and that and read everything from every draft express to Kevin O'Connor. He's a Celtic writer, not that Kevin O'Connor draft book to everything else. So I'm just going to psychologically believe that the Jazz will trade into the draft tomorrow and that all of those hours of work will be worthwhile. And that'll keep me sane. I think there's a, I think the way the landscape is that, that it's not. I don't think it would be particularly difficult. I'm not sure they have the assets to do it, but I think that there's a chance they could get into the draft. Ah, the self-serving media strikes again. <laughs> David, let's hypothetically say that does happen. Uh, what area do you think they look to address? I think there's probably um, uh, there's a few things. I think uh, I actually think there's three foreign players that they're intrigued by. Um, Ante Zizic, the big, would probably could go back to Europe for a year. I think he's willing to do that. Um, Furkan Korkmaz, the Turkish uh, wing player, actually has said that he wants to come to um, the U.S. to, despite his multi- his two year million dollar a year buyout and be and to work on his body and develop. He would really fit well just because. He fits. We have the D League franchise, so he could play for the D League franchise and play for us at the same time. Uh, being in Salt Lake City, I think the French kid Luau uh, might be an, an interesting player as well. Though I don't think he's interested in um, going to Europe. You got to be careful, as you know. You can't just tell these kids they're going to Europe. They, they're free agent um, and don't have a job, don't have a gig in Europe, so there's no buyout issue. And you say, well, we want you to go to Europe and play. They show up at training camp the first day. You have to have them at training camp, and then if you don't want them on your roster, you cut them and they're a free agent. So uh, you got to be a little careful with some of these guys that, you know, they, they can get out of this. They, they actually have a little bit of an upper hand. I think it's unlikely, but um, 
So I think those players are all of intrigue. Um, I, I don't know if there's, you know, I think they just, if they have someone they think's worth adding, I mean, this roster is, as it sits right now, is getting pretty close to well well established. I don't, I don't think there's a huge amount of um, major, major changes. I heard Gordon say that he thinks there's a bigger move they've got to make. I don't know how they, I don't know what that is or how they can do it. Do you think that there will be some subsequent move? We ask you to speculate on these things, David. There's no way of you knowing, but but you're close to the situation. Do you, do you think there will be other signings or trades at some later point? Honestly, this is the big one they had to do. And so this is the one that I thought they were going to have to give up a ton of assets to go get. Um and so since they didn't, they gave up They gave up a lot. Let's not misunderstand that even though this isn't a great draft, and, I mean, I was on with DJ and PK on, on when I was driving to the draft, and they were like, who do you like? And I was like, I haven't found anybody yet. And I think the one guy I kind of liked a little bit uh, is the guy, Spence, you watched last night, Wade Baldwin. I don't love him, though. Um, I like him. I think he's going to be a good NBA player. I think the space in the NBA is going to help him. But he really didn't match what we needed at all. Last thing you needed, we needed was to be drafting another point guard type player. He's much better to go get, you know, if that was our choice, Wade Baldwin or George Hill, this is a much better circumstance is to have a veteran who's 30 years old, has played 70 playoff games, knows how to lead the team, and might be a player you can renegotiate a contract with in the um, this, during the season and be able to extend him for a few more years um, and have that veteran leadership with your team. So I, I think, you know, that's a far better answer uh, for the Jazz. Now, so that means, you know, like, okay, so now your trade piece – our future first-round picks, Alec Burks, or some major piece of the core. I think Alec Burks is the one player that we're not quite sure where he fits in. But the fact is, as crazy as this sounds, that Alec Burks' contract in the new NBA that we're about to embark upon at whatever he is, about 10 or $11 million a year, is an incredible bargain. And so if he's your fifth wing of those 144 minutes we just talked about and you're paying him $10 million, I know it sounds nuts, but that's actually fine. And he might be a heck of a player in that setup. And so I actually don't think you make any major change to this lineup, to this roster at this point. In fact, I think you try to fill in the gaps if you can, maybe add a draft pick for developmental purposes. Um, but I think the core nine-player rotation is – is pretty well set. You have a th- whatever your third point guard is going to be very good. You'd like that if Withy's on your roster, your fifth big is very good, and Joe Ingles is on your roster. Your your sixth wing is very very good. Um, you know it really comes together pretty nicely right now uh, as this roster sits, and I, I don't see a major next move uh, out there. And I actually might use my free agent money to try to extend Derek Favors and George Hill. Uh, and and see what we got and move from there. David, uh, obviously that that is a sound approach. If your if your first concern is making the playoffs, do you think that group is good enough in the future to truly contend in the Western Conference or for the NBA, for that matter? Well, you've got to. So, if you mean, you know, to contend for an NBA title, the answer is no. But I don't think twenty six teams contend for the NBA title. Um, you know, I think Kevin Durant, LeBron James, and Steph Curry contend for the NBA title. Right? I mean, that's what this league is. Like, I don't know why we all have a hard time grasping it. It's just what this league is. Like, the superhuman players get it done. 
Um, and there's three or four of them in the league. I mean, I think San Antonio got exposed a little bit for not having one yet. And Kawhi Leonard's not that superhuman yet uh, in in their playoff series. So maybe there's four teams. There's probably three that are competing for it. Toronto, you know, was, was Toronto really competing for an NBA title by making these Eastern Conference Finals? Did anybody really believe they were for one day that they ever might win the title? But at least they were in the. At least they were in the. In, okay. In the final so this is my. This is the way so, I so, view it. So, so if, you, this, if I'm building, this is why. I, this is why I ask you that, David. Is because if everyone's playing for fourth and fifth place, I mean that that's kind of disheartening, isn't it? I mean, you're competing no, in a league. Not really. I guess it depends your viewpoint. I've said this a million times, and I actually think Spence totally agrees with this with me. But he he it's so blood curdling he doesn't really want to admit it if you're only playing for a championship you should do what Philadelphia's done forever until you draft LeBron or Grant or one of those guys and Minnesota basically did it kind of indirectly and got lucky and they got Carl Anthony Towns but I believe you build your roster to try to get into the final four of your conference and then you hope for matchups frankly you hope for matchups and a sprained ankle that's that's really what you're looking for um, get you know if you go back to those jazz teams uh, with Darren and Boozer and and Mehmet and AK if they could have ever found a way to get the Rockets instead of the Lakers I think they would have won those series and then if the Rockets had faced the Lakers earlier the Rockets would have beat the Lakers because they matched up we just didn't match up with the Lakers they were better than we were uh, but I, I think you build your team to try to be Final Four in your conference and see what happens from there and I think this team's getting awfully close to that. With, with this move today, I think that's a big step in the right direction. You know, there's, hey, I think there's still some real debates that come come across here. I don't mean to minimize it. You know, there's some players I've liked. Another one I've mentioned a ton is Rudy Gay. Um, if Rudy Gay became available and you had to, you know, probably have to give up Alex's contract, which is a great contract with three more years of the number that he's at, or maybe it's two more years now, whichever it is, um, would you do that just to go – um, just to add talent. It's a risk. That's a huge risk. He's sometimes been a bad apple. I'm not sure. But he also really makes you a pretty interesting team. Like, that's a lot of talent you suddenly have. Uh, do you go make that next move? I, maybe. But that's the only kind of move I could think they're making. Um, the free agent market's going to be so nuts. I think it's the less you play in it, the better off you're going to be. David, I, di- I didn't see the exact report from the the uh, the reporter from Hoops, Hoops Critic who posted something about Gordon Hayward demanding a trade and being unhappy or whatever. I just saw that Boston was shopping the number three pick, and they had talked to teams uh, like Chicago about Jimmy Butler. I imagine they hung up the phone. And then the Jazz about Gordon Hayward. There was a conversation apparently with Milwaukee about Jabari as well as Chris Middleton. But, what you, you know, you talked to Gordon quite a bit. I can't imagine – it doesn't strike me as a malcontent that would demand a trade. What do you make of that report? This might be the only time I can ever quote Hillary Clinton in Utah and have people agree with me. Delete your account. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was that's irresponsible at, at best. Yeah. Do you think yeah, that that's what I think any, of that. Do you think there's any truth to uh, the Jazz being interested in moving any of their core players? Well, I think you said it well earlier. I mean, so if Minnesota calls tomorrow and says, we think Gordon Hayward fits better than Andrew Wiggins. You got to think about it, right? Of course, yeah. Okay. 
But that's the level we're at. Gordon's, Gordon's, you know, I think somewhere between the 15th and 20th best player in the NBA. So, you know, if Golden State suddenly says, we actually don't like Clay Thompson anymore, and he'd have to consider it. Um, but that's the level we're at. You're not trading Gordon Hayward for the, the well-being of trading Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward's going to look a lot better with George Hill. But Gordon Hayward has been playing point guard for this team for the last three years because we've been playing point guards that – if we're quite honest about it, weren't rotation players on any other team other than Philadelphia in the NBA. And this guy's been carrying the load every day for three years. He's been our point guard, our number one defender, the best on the floor. He's been our primary scorer. He's been our everything. Surround him with some more talent. That's all he wants. They just did that today. And uh, how about Derek Favors' future with the club, David? Derek Favors is really good. Um, I would hope the Jazz can find a way to work and extend. It's it's complicated. I don't want to bore everyone to death, but there's an interesting. So the, there's this. There's two concepts people that need to know. There's this thing called the salary floor, where the Jazz, if they don't make it to, I think ninety million next year. Is that right, Spence? Eighty-five. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think if they that. don't make it to 80, 85 million in their salary next year, then the actual what happens though, if the Jazz have seventy million dollars of salary and they have a fifteen man roster, if they don't get to eighty five, then each player on the team gets a million dollars. They just distribute it out. So the Jazz can actually go to someone like Derek next year, who has two years left at like eleven million dollars each, twenty two million dollars, and actually say to Derek, you know, we're going to pay you twenty one million dollars this year. Rip up your ten million. We're going to give you twenty-one million, and then and then next year we actually can drop that forty percent. So they drop it, whatever they negotiate, up to as much as forty percent, and then they build it back up. So Derek, instead of having two years twenty-two left on your deal, we're going to pay you twenty next year. Then we're going to pay you fourteen. Then we're going to pay you fifteen. Then we're going to pay you sixteen. So you're actually signing a four-year deal for about seventy-five million dollars instead of the two-year twenty-four you have left. Jazz win because he's not maxed out. Derek wins because he makes much more money. And Jazz win because they have cap flexibility with all their contracts coming up. They can actually do the same thing with George Hill this offseason. George Hill's, I think, at $8 million, So they can bump him up with whatever leftover cap space they don't use with with uh, Derek doing the same thing, give him his big bump, and then drop him 40%. So suddenly you say to him, we'll pay you this year, rip up your $8 million, and we'll give you two more years after that 40% reduction, and he signs, and now you've suddenly got George Hill for a bunch of years, and that's how you use your cap space this upcoming season is to actually rebuild uh, this team in that fashion um, and then build this core together. So I think that's where Derek actually has a really important future on this team. It's also a contract that you probably sign because if Trey Lyles develops to be so terrific, which I think Trey Lyles really can going to be able to score in this league. I don't know if he's going to be able to rebound and defend, but I think Trey Lyles can score 18 to 20 points a game in this league. Uh, if he if he becomes that player and the league really becomes that small and you need to move Derek can keep Rudy, then on that contract, you probably could do that. That was a really long answer. What is Derek? That was a really long answer, sorry, to what Derek's future is with the Jazz. Last thing that will set you loose, opening night uh, next season, starting five, first three off the bench. 
Uh, I would go with Hill, Hood, Hayward, Favors, and Gobert with uh, Exum, uh, Burks, and Lyles off the bench. Very nice. Well, um, I'm sorry that you did all that work, but in, at least in, enjoy the city. Uh, hit up El Vag- Vagabondo's if you want some good Italian food, and I'll chat with you tomorrow on the headset. Uh, we'll be uh, back and forth all night, man. All right. Talk to you soon. David Locke, radio play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz, breaking down the trade today where the Jazz get George Hill from Indiana. The Pacers receive Jeff Teague from Atlanta, and the Hawks get the number 12 pick from the Utah Jazz. If what David Locke just said is true, then that just sucks. And he may, he may be being very realistic about the whole thing, but if the, the best the Jazz can hope for is to be one of the top eight teams in the league, or eight-ish, and then hope for some freak accident or something. I mean, for someone who grew up on the East Coast, uh, sorry, that's just a hard thing to accept uh, uh, out of a professional franchise. And, and And I get it. I understand the way it works in the NBA. But that's a reality that just absolutely sucks. Yeah, and the, the, the sad part of it is it is somewhat of a reality. You know, LeBron James, six straight finals. No NBA finals since 2007 uh, has not had either LeBron or Kobe. Um, there are the outlier teams. The Pistons in 2004 is the one. That's the main example that every, everybody points to. And I always re- remind everybody, Ben Wallace was the best defender in the league. He was the only one that could, could, could even provide pushback on Shaq, and he did a great job with it. And, you know, Rip Hamilton was playing well. Chauncey Billups was hitting big shot after big shot. That was not – that was a special team, but they just didn't have a guy that you point to and you go, oh, he's one of the top two or three players in the league. But that is the exception. They traded for Rasheed that season. Correct. And And Rasheed played huge for them. He was a great interior defender. Uh, He could shoot it from the outside. He was kind of your original stretch four. People remember him as kind of a clown because of what happened in Portland, but Rasheed was a good player. Yeah. So uh, it's an unfortunate reality. But the other thing is in the postseason, we do see how matchups matter. And, you know, if Andrew Bogut doesn't go down with an injury and if Iguodala's back holds up, maybe Cleveland isn't having a parade where 10 billion people showed up, by the way. (laughs) You know, maybe Golden State is hoisting the the trophy. If Steph's knee isn't bad, if his ankle isn't messed up, maybe the Warriors do win it. I mean, that's just the unpredictable nature of the NBA postseason. It happens every year. I would uh, – I, I get it. I get it. Okay, there's only one LeBron. There's only one Steph Curry. I, I understand that. But I would aim a little higher than the than the top four at a conference. I, I would at least shoot to be a conference champion. You know? Yeah, but how long did it take John and Carl? Yeah. It took I, John and Carl a long time. I, I get it. It did. And – I don't know what to tell jazz fans if that's the truth. I mean, it's not something you would headline your marketing with. Hey, uh, join us next season. We're top eight. <laughs> Three, five, five, dunk. No, the marketing team will not run with, hey, we might be top eight. Uh, yeah. So that's, but how many years did we hear this is our year in the 90s? From like 93 to like 99, the slogan was this is our year. Well, at least they were a threat. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an arduous process, and it takes a lot of patience. And I think they're building this thing the best way they possibly can. And today was a step in the right direction. But there are a lot of teams in the West right now that are still head and shoulders above the Jazz. Yep. I think next year, if they make the postseason, if they're a top five or six team, like Kevin Pelton just said 
uh, they are now with the acquisition of George Hill, I think that's a win. It's a step in the right direction. Well, it, it, it really, does it shape the way you go about building a team? Do you, are you a risk taker? Do you shoot? Do you, is it better to shoot for the uh, stars and land in the trees than to shoot for the trees and land in the mud? I, 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 I don't know. Was that Piglet who said that? It was. It was Piglet, right? It was Piglet. Second installment of Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> my favorite installment, by the was way. Was it? Yeah. Uh, my favorite installment of Winnie the Pooh is when he was dipping into that honey jar. And just that was like, every installment. Yeah, I know. But, but anyway, uh, I, I maybe I'm just. I'm conservative by nature in some ways, but man, if if my job is to to build a, a a winner, what I would consider a winner in the NBA, and I have an opportunity to take a risk in order to accomplish that goal, I'm going to do it because I do not want to sit back and just be finish in fifth place in my conference every year. That I, I, I would hate that. No, and I don't think that's the long-term vision for this organization, but there just isn't any other quick fix. I think today is a step in the right direction, and I don't think there's another more dramatic move out there. I've been saying it for a couple of years now. This is the process, and I think today was a good move. I mean, you traded a wild card at number 12. Who who, 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 Who knows who they were going to get for a guy that's a legitimate starter in this league? To me, that's a win. Yeah, I I agree with that. I I think it is a nice step, but I would still be working those phones trying to to, to do something even more, to quote Dennis Lindsay, dynamic. And they probably are, and maybe they're not done. We'll see what happens. If we were casting Winnie the Pooh, would you be the Owl? No, you'd be Eeyore. Yeah, I'd be Eeyore. You'd be Eeyore. Mm -hmm. Um, Who would Austin be? Austin would be Tigger. Austin would be Tigger? I'll take it. Oh, okay. Yeah, because he's, he's always bouncing around, you know, and he's very up and very down. He's kind of all around, you know. Oh, <laughs> now it comes out. Mm-hmm. Did you just call Austin bipolar, essentially? <laughs> no. He called me all round, like Spence. He said round. That's what he was getting at. Well, I thought he was going to run with Winnie the Pooh or Piglet for sure. I'm glad he gave you <laughs> well, Piglet, Piglet. Tigger. No, Piglet just doesn't work for Austin. Oh, bother. He's... Is there, is there a bigger character than that? Don't. Yeah, Winnie the Pooh. I mean, really? No, no, don't. Uh, what about the, like, those uh, humpalumps? Uh, a humpalump? The humpalumps? Isn't that a black-eyed, isn't that a black-eyed <laughs> pea song? No, it didn't. I thought at one point, like. There Pooh are huffalumps. Like, uh, huffalumps. Yeah. Huffalumps and woozles. Okay. Yeah. They kind of look like. Man, whoever wrote that was on so many mushrooms, <laughs> so there's no doubt. <laughs> 